This is a Payone Media production. The following podcast on the Your Own Pay Podcast Network will contain adult content. Listener discretion is advised. More information about this episode can be found at yourownpay.com. Good show tonight, guys. That was fun. Good, good. Glad that you yeah. enjoyed it. Lots of good humor in it. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, yeah, and then it's it's actually funner listening to the to the live show because you get to get all the you get the behind the, the back scenes. end, yeah, you, you know? get all the stuff, yeah, you get all and, the stuff. And usually like, there's out. more behind the scenes as Demasi brought up yeah, towards the it's, end. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, bro, let's get into this thing. It's Demasi and Michael just talking tech. Because if it's music going into the recording, then that is a little harder to clean out right. when it's coming straight in on the board. Like what happened in 87. Go listen carefully to the beginning if you didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was that was Michael pushing buttons and twisting knobs. He shouldn't have been pushing or twisting. But let's jump right into it and tell you about my setup experiences and why probably five rooms of clubhouse did not work the way I wanted them to. And what I ultimately had to do to get that to work. So my setup right now, I've told you this about this. I've told you about this setup that I'm going to use Demasi kind of, and I kind of want to play with it a little bit more to figure that out too. So what I was going to do is have clubhouse audio come out of channel five, six, Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back. So one of the things that I've recently done is I, those longtime listeners know that I use groups and I send audio into channel 1112, which is perfectly fine. I have zero latency monitoring in my headphones. I can hear everything on the microphone. That's great. But Demasi gave me the brilliant idea of leveraging the auxiliary output functionality. So I have aux one now running from aux one to channel six, which means that if I want clubhouse, for example, to get channel six, then anything I want to send to clubhouse, I simply turn up the aux one knobs. And so that was all great. I was going to put Demasi on channel three, four, which is where I put all my VOIP set up. And then I was going to turn up channel three, aux one and uh, send that into channel six and say club deck, pick that up. And then Demasi wouldn't hear himself and everything was going to work great. Except these damn bit rates. (laughs) Bit rates can always be the tripper. I'm going to just interject real quick and say that Michael is at the disadvantage of not being on the Mac. So he doesn't have a tool like loopback that can say, Hey, I want to route audio to this one channel instead of doing a stereo pair, which windows apparently forces you to do. Mm. So, you know, suck to me on windows. So that is, Hey Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) But no, no, (laughs) <laughs> that that kind of played into the problem, the fact that st- Windows pairs audio channels as stereo. Because at first, I was bringing audio in on channel 5 and routing that back into channel 6. And I was telling Club... Well, no, what I was doing is I was telling Clubhouse, or Club Deck, I should be specific, play audio from channel 5, 6, which mm-hmm. I thought was going to work just fine. However, you can't send audio... Unless it was a bitrate issue, which I discovered bitrate issues later, but you can't send audio from channel 5 and receive audio from channel 6 because Windows is using 5.6 to send audio out of, and it looks like you can't bring audio back into 5.6, so I can't use those two different channels like I was planning on. Nope. Even though that, I only that have is- MST press on channel 5. Yep, but that is a limitation of how he's choosing to pull your audio, though. So because of that, uh, you're not going to be able to send audio into one channel, out of one channel, and back into another channel that is a part of a stereo pair. There may be some weird hacky way to make it work. Uh, like you probably, you probably could manage to pull that trick off just recording directly into Reaper, for example, right? Because yeah. you could tell Reaper grab audio well, I can. I've this done it channel. Before. <laughs> yeah, but just natively in the system, that's not going to work. Mac OS has that same limitation, but that's sort of why I made the joke is because like you, you are somewhat constrained a little bit more than I am because you can't say only send audio or only pull only send audio out of this one single channel. Like Windows is forcing you to do a stereo pair. And to be fair, if I wasn't using loopback on Mac OS, I would be restricted to doing a lot of stereo pairs in cases where I wouldn't want to do that either. Yeah. So moral of the story, 
A, check your bit rates. Because bit rates should always match up. Whatever you're yes. connecting to or whatever you're recording into, your bit rates have to match. So always check your hardware bit rates and what they support. Uh, and if you're able to adjust the hardware bit rate, do so. But if not, usually software definitely should allow you to adjust those bit rates to match because they get weird. I don't know why. I'm not that much of an audio engineer mm-hmm. to know why, but they, they get are weird. problems. So very so, quickly. So I spent 45 minutes before I texted you and said, yes, we're going to stream into Clubhouse, trying to get everything to work. I finally got it to work when I figured out that you couldn't send audio from Channel 5 and receive it on Channel 6. So that was working great. So I moved audio over to Channel 3, 4 for VOIP or for uh, Club Deck and just put it on my standard VOIP pair. Then I was able to get music to go through and everything was great. So I, I ended that test room, which I did probably three or four test rooms before I got that to work. Then... Uh, when I went on at 45 after, like I told you I was going to, I'm like, I better, I had someone come in here and they didn't say anything. So I better go grab Ben's phone to make sure that it's working right. And it wasn't because apparently my bit rates weren't matched up and it took me a little while to figure it out, but I appreciate everyone's patience. And now we are on DM 88. So if you have any th- questions about the things we're talking about, feel free to head on over and take a look at the show notes at your own pay.com forward slash DM 88 calendar bookings though. Uh, want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Calendar bookings. And so I think we have talked about this before. Uh, I have been using Calendly for a while. We have, I know for sure, talked about booking appointments, the importance of using your calendar. And one of the ways that that calendar usage for me has been extremely important is allowing, being able to create available time slots and then just allowing people to go book time in those available slots instead of doing a whole bunch of back and forth. You know, what time are you available? No, that doesn't work for me. What about that time? Like everybody has been there and done that. I actually will take a step back and explain to you why I put this in here because it was my initials on here and it wasn't what you're going to talk about. It was uh, initially so what you I, thinking about? I was going to ask you, how do you book your appointments by timing wise? So for example, I have someone who I'm meeting with tomorrow at 10 a.m. And when I went in there to set up the Zoom meeting, I did 10 to 10.50 instead of 10 to 11. That way I can get up, take a water break. And if someone get a water, get some water, go pee, do whatever I need to do. And if someone else wants to book an appointment with me, naturally, I just look at the top of the hour because then I can book someone in there and do it from 11 to 11.50 again or 11 to 11.20. Do you give yourself that 10-minute break? Ah, okay. So, let's, yeah, let's explore that because that, that plays into where I was going with this. So, for me, with booking time, so one thing is I have, and I haven't gotten to where I want to be. Like, I have an ultimate goal of probably only booking meetings on like one or two days a week. Um because I don't work at a big corporation where they tell me to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and show up for a meeting. <laughs> uh, and then stay up till midnight to meet with people on the other side of the world. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't have to deal with that. But what I do is, so first of all, typically, unless there's a, a great need for it to happen, I tend to have my mornings blocked off from doing any sort of meetings until after, let's say, 11.30 a.m., 12 p.m. And the reason for that is, one, I'm pretty grouchy when I wake up. Uh, <laughs> so, like, just knowing myself means, like, I don't necessarily want to talk to people super early in the morning if I don't really have to. Uh, and secondarily, a lot of my good focus time where I can focus on actually getting something done happens early for me in the morning. As the afternoon starts to drift in, like, my focus slips a little bit. It's very easy for me to get distracted. So that, to me, is a better time to set a meeting because if I'm in a meeting, I'm not going to be you know, uh, bumbling around too much on the internet looking at stuff. But in the afternoon, I'm not going to be as as focused and get as much work done. When it comes to actual, the way that I schedule meetings. So I, there's a, I use Google Calendar. You use Google Calendar. So if you use Google Calendar, this is a feature. Maybe it's also a part of Microsoft and some other calendaring service. But one thing I said in Google uh, on the web at calendar.google.com is the ability to set what they call, oh, what do they call it? Jeez, I got to find a feature. We'll link to the exact feature and how to describe it in the show notes because I don't remember the name of it. But basically, it's like try to set meetings to be as, 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 brief as possible. So if you book a meeting for an hour, it really wants you to try to wrap that up in like 45 minutes. 
um, when I actually book time with people and set up a meeting, uh, I tend to try to hit the top of the hour just because it, it gives me that breathing room uh, in between, you know, whenever what was scheduled before that. The other thing that I always try to do, and you mentioned it, is I'm going to give myself some buffer time between between appointments or between things that have to happen. Uh, and I even take that to the extent of the way that I set up my reminders for an event. Like I get a reminder of an upcoming event uh, 45 minutes before it's time to happen which hints to me like whatever I am doing or am working on or or even not working on from just sitting around being lazy because that happens too, hmm. uh, to start getting prepared for this meeting, right? So if I'm working on something, it means, okay, I need to start getting to a, a good stopping point here so I can meet this, you know, get ready for that. The next um, reminder that I get about the upcoming event is 15 minutes before it starts. At that point, I should be absolutely 100% ready for that meeting. If I'm not, I need to shut down whatever I'm doing and be ready for that meeting. And then I get one more at five minutes before, just in case. Yeah. Because uh, I'm forgetful. I'll get a reminder of 15 minutes and then, you know, be poking around on the internet or just checking the email real quick while I'm waiting for the meeting to start and then forget that I'm supposed to actually go click on a link to join Google Meet or Zoom or whatever. Um. But I always give myself buffer time. So I never schedule anything back to back. Like I never will have a meeting at one o'clock and then it, that goes from one to one thirty. And then I got another meeting starting right at one thirty. Like that really isn't going to happen. Because meetings can run over. <laughs> yep. Number one, meetings can run over because you get into something. And secondly, like I need time to get up, walk around, move around, get something to drink, do whatever needs to be done, you know, for my human body to, to take care of itself before we get into that next meeting. And often... I want to make some notes or, or whatever about the previous meeting, uh, have some time to kind of clear that out of my brain, review whatever I'm talking about with this person starting at two o'clock. So if I got a one o'clock meeting, that may run to one thirty, and it may actually go to one thirty five or one thirty seven. Right. That gives me up until two o'clock to stretch, go use the restroom, maybe grab a snack or some coffee or whatever, and make sure that I have my mindset ready for the two o'clock meeting to talk about whatever this person has going on. So that's interesting you do it that way because I've just started consciously doing it with more meetings and things that I'm setting up to give myself that break. It's not something that I've always done. Uh, admittedly, I used to schedule things on the calendar from one to two and then two to three. But then I realized that meetings run over and that was a lesson I had to learn. Uh, also, something that I have done differently than what you're doing is for, and, and maybe I'm going to change this around because right now I only have the, what is that? 15 minute? No, my, my meeting reminders are one hour before an event and then 15 minutes before an event. And I think I might change that a little bit to be, you know, 45 minutes to 50 minutes before the event and then five minutes because 15 minutes, you can get doing a lot of different things and say, Oh, mm -hmm. I can get this done in the next 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden it's two <laughs> o'clock and you're late for that meeting. So I think uh -huh. I might, I might change that around a little bit. Yeah, and I think I've started doing more like 45 minutes and then five minutes. Uh, I still have some kind of recurring events to still have that that old 15 minutes in there. Uh, because at five minutes, like I, I have to be ready. And usually I'm going to go jump in Zoom or jump in Google Meet if it's a meeting that I'm running and I'm just hanging out right there. I have that f that that I sometimes will put a one minute reminder just so if like I have muted myself, like I know to unmute, do all those things right there. Uh right as people should be coming into the meeting. And then once I'm in Google Meet or Zoom uh, or, or whatever the case is for the meeting, I'm, I'm waiting on the other person to show up. Like I give them typically, if I don't hear anything, I'm going to give you five minutes and I'm probably leaving uh, because I don't have time mm -hmm. to waste to sit here just hanging out, listening to nothing in Google Meet uh, <laughs> or, or Zoom. I, I may give it 10 minutes if I know the person, like, let's say if I have a meeting scheduled with Michael, for example, which does happen sometimes. People yep. may not believe it, but yep. it does happen. Because we'll both uh, forget. Uh, I will give Mike 10 minutes, but I can also just text Mike and be like, hey, Mike, where are you? But Mike will tell you, like, I will text it, like, you know, three, five <laughs> minutes saying, like, Mike, where are you? Right. Because yep. like we're five minutes in, like, look, I can give you five minutes to be late. But if you haven't sent me an email uh, for for, uh, you know, potential customers or even existing customers to say, hey, I'm running late or I can't make it. 
Uh, you know, I start getting nasty and like, I'm just sitting here and I don't, I don't mean to be a jerk about it and I'm not trying to be, but at the same time, like nobody pays me enough money to just sit on the phone for no reason. Time uh, is your most valuable commodity. It's the thing you cannot get back. We've yep. said, I've said this, we've said this on the show before. Like I can, I can make more money. I cannot make up more time. If I waste time, like then I can't get that time back. There's no way to recoup that. And both Demasi and I have both gotten better at texting each other and saying, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to be, like Demasi sent me a message, I'm going to probably be five, ten minutes late for recording. I didn't see it because of focus modes, and I haven't made adjustments, <laughs> but, but it was there. It was there. I saw it when I saw Jeff's message. By the way, speaking of Jeff, I do see your hand. I'm not going to bring you up on stage, Jeff, simply because of my audio setup. I wanted to be able to do that so people could talk to Demasi, but right now you would come up on channel three four so you would go back into yourself and Demasi would come back into his self if i hit the groups button to bring it on now what i will do and i'm going to experiment with this over the next week or so is i that's why i wanted to get audio to come in on channel five six um so that way i could send Demasi channel five and send you channel three so what we're going to do some experimentation with that i'll get Demasi to sit on zoom or clean feed with me in the next week or so and play around with that see if we can get audio going all over the place but that's why i did not accept your hand just so you're aware so i want to address that and we'll test that out while we're sitting on uh, google meet testing out google meet features for an event that we're going to talk about towards the end of the podcast so stay tuned we're going to mention it we're not going to announce a date yet but unless he put one in the calendar i mean not nope. the calendar but in the doc did you even look nope. at the doc yet Mm, yeah so what's next topic (laughs) (laughs) but to finish up with calendars where i was heading because what i thought you were going to ask about was like the the scheduling features the the allowing people to book time or your calendar without you having to really be directly involved in that process uh so i Mm -hmm. was using calendly for that for a while and i have been saying like i want to get off of calendly and find something else uh, there are a few WordPress plugins. None of the ones that I've looked at was I extremely happy with. Uh, it was either it was too complicated to set it up, meaning like it, it felt very brittle to me in the way that it was configured, or you know there were accessibility issues, and I don't want people that you know rely on screen reader screen readers like I do to have to you know faff around trying to book an appointment. It should be simple, and Calendly actually has done something quite elegant. Uh, to yes. give credit where credit is due. They have done a very good job at it. Uh, but recently... Like mm, yeah, they just shifted those too. So, uh, uh. <laughs> But uh, what was it? When was today? Saturday? Tuesday, Wednesday? I think. Tuesday? When, Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. Tuesday or Wednesday of this past week, uh, Fantastic App, which is the calendar app that I use and Mike also uses, uh, Oh, Mike, did you check out Fantastic Out on the web at all? Did you go poke at that? I did not because I forgot that was a thing. Yeah, you can you can control some settings from there. Or Can, or can you add events to your calendars from the mm, web? Though? I don't With know. natural language input. That I don't know. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> if you would have said, hey, Mike, you can add events to your calendar with natural language input on the web, I, w- I bet you I would have checked it out right away. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think that's a feature yet. They should get around to that at some point. Uh, but Fantastic Al added a feature to uh, allow people to book appointments. And it works very much like Calendly and Acuity and these other services that do that. Uh just a warning for people listening, if you are a screen reader user, there are a couple of little gotchas and glitches in here and there. I have dropped some uh, feedback to their support team uh, about those. But for the most part, it works. It, it functions. You can generate a link for different types of events. So I have a couple set up at this point. One is a coffee break where it's like an intro meeting for somebody that wants to chat with me about business uh, for 15 minutes, which is about the amount of time we would sit in a restaurant and have a cup of coffee, right? We could still do that. And I was also the type of person to go hang out at a coffee shop. I miss those days. Mm. You know, I kind of miss them too. I, I miss, you know, I look at my Mac mini and I mm. think mm. about like, you know, at some point, it's going to be cool to just go hang out and I need to get a laptop or an iPad, one or the other. Because I, I do miss the times that I would hop on a bus in Atlanta and just go somewhere and hang out with my laptop and, and get work done and talk to people. 
Sometimes it's fun. One of these days it'll be back. Yeah, we'll get there. But Fantastical has added this feature. uh, What do they call it? Openings or scheduling. Well, they call it openings inside of the app. Everybody's calling it schedule with Fantastical or whatever. But uh, nice feature. Uh, It's already built into the subscription that I'm already currently paying for for Fantastical. So I will be switching over to using that because it gives me a generated link for each event type I want to set up. There are a few features missing that are kind of in the the scheduling services like Calendly and Acuity, such as uh, the ability to block off certain times without there actually being an appointment on your calendar at that time. So one thing I liked about Calendly is I could say on... Mondays, people can only book time uh, between these times and that time, and they have to have a lead time before they can book it. That That's the big thing I think that's missing right now is the lead mm. time. So, so I could go book an appointment on your calendar right now, theoretically? Yeah. Ah. Yes. So Monday morning, you could get up and go book time on my calendar for Monday afternoon. And the way that I had Calendly configured, like you couldn't do that. You could go look at my calendar on Monday, but you couldn't. the earliest appointment you could book would be Tuesday. Yep. Yep. And and that that goes back into our being prepared about the appointments that you're having because then you can look at your calendar that evening before and say, "Oh, I've got these three events. Okay, I need to make sure that that I don't plan something personally during those three appointments, for example." Mhm. And now what I have done can't. is I, what I have done is I have uh and it is you know, something that's possible, which is, you know, set the most of the appointment types, like the ones that are going to end up being publicly accessible for anybody. Uh, I have to approve that time. So if you were to go book a 15 minute coffee break, hey, cool thing is I put some emojis in the title instead of just writing words out. I put a hot drink, uh, tear off calendar. Uh-huh. Hot drink emoji, uh-huh. tear off calendar emoji uh, for the title. So if you go and book that with me on Monday and you try to book it at 3.30 or 3.45 and I see that booking at 2 o'clock, I'm going to be like, no, we're going to have to reschedule that. But it doesn't automatically show up as a booked event until I approve it. So I can adjust that time and move that back if I need to. So you get a notification or do you have to look at your calendar to see that? Nope. I get a notification and an email. Uh at this point. So I get a calendar, get a push notification on my devices that Fantastical is running on and also get an email for it. So I can go in at that point and be like, no, well, you know, let's move that. What about tomorrow at 345 instead of today at 245? Because it's two o'clock and I don't think I won't talk to anybody today. Wow, it was even talked about in The Verge. I didn't realize that. I was trying to find the actual uh, link to put it in there, but there's it was pretty popular, and it was Tuesday. Ah, so yeah, it it got around. It got around the internet. I, I saw quite a few links to it uh, about it once it came out. So while I am looking up some links and getting some information, uh, Demasi, you with some of your appointments and some of your time that you have during the day have been learning more about AWS. Can you start out and tell people what AWS is and what you've been learning about it? I've been learning it's a giant pile of stuff, <laughs> man. Oh, you should play with Microsoft Azure. <laughs> Just had to throw that out there. Hey, Jeff, if you know anyone that can give Demasi some free Azure credits, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Oh. Uh, so AWS is Amazon web services. Um, I never remember this stuff when I'm trying to talk to people about it. Amazon started, everybody knows Amazon for amazon.com to go on and buy stuff. I need to go buy some stuff right now, actually. Uh, but Amazon started a, um, division of their company. I want to say around... I'm going to get the date wrong. I'm guessing between 2007, 2009. That may be slightly off a little bit. But they started this business where they started to sell some of the services uh, to other companies that they were using to power their business. Uh, Key amongst these was 
uh, Amazon SES, which is the, the service that delivers your simple email service is what that stands for. That's the service that delivers all of the emails you get from Amazon telling you your order has been placed and your order has shipped and your order was delivered. And hey, why don't you check out this thing that you already bought two months ago? Uh, you know, all of those emails. Basically, the infrastructure that powers Amazon for the most part is available to individuals and companies to uh, use on demand. And they had a interesting at the time that it came out. A lot of people do this now, but at the time it came out, they had a very interesting pricing model, which was you didn't pay them a flat fee for a service every month, or you didn't play a pay a set price for, you know, setting aside access to these services over the course of a year. You paid on demand based as what you used it for. So if you were using, let's say, Amazon SES service and you sent no emails through their service for the month of January, well, then you wouldn't get a bill from Amazon for SES. Like, that's just how that works. If you sent a thousand emails, you would get a bill for, I don't know, I think it's like 10 cents or something. Uh, so super cheap and also on demand pricing for usage, you know, uses based pricing. Uh, for compute services in the cloud is what AWS basically is. There are a ton of services. I think somebody recently I heard somebody say that there are like 145 or so services up under the AWS umbrella. I ain't touching half of those. Matter of fact, I'm not <laughs> touching a tenth of those. Uh, but the services that I have been using that I have gotten extremely familiar with are Amazon SES for sending emails. And I use this for transactional emails, uh, sending the emails from WordPress. So a lot of the sites, including mine uh, and Michael's that send out emails for whatever, whether it's a password reset, uh, form submissions, etc., cetera, uh, are all using a uh, Amazon SES email. Partially because it is extremely cheap and I'm not having to pay a flat rate to a company. There are a lot of transactional email services out there, most of which once you get past their free tier or their, you know, free usage for a couple of months, you're paying at minimum 10 bucks a month, anywhere up to $35 a month just for basic service. Uh, and that's, again, whether you send an email or don't send an email. Uh, so SES has been a service I've gotten extremely familiar with. Uh they have uh, instances if you're anybody, you know, I know Michael is, but any listeners are familiar with things like DigitalOcean, Linode, uh, et cetera. Uh, they offer compute instances at AWS. Uh, LightSail is is probably the closest thing to your Linodes and DigitalOceans. Uh, they also have EC2 instances, which are much more complex to configure uh, than just, hey, I want a droplet that has this much storage and that much RAM and this much of a processor. Like EC2 is a little bit more convoluted. But one of the most important things about AWS that I really had to sit down and get my head wrapped around is access permissions. Uh, everybody that has listened to the show for any amount of time knows that I'm very, very serious about security and I operate up under the minimum privilege lexicon. So, you know, you only get the privilege that you actually need. I'm not going to give you admin privileges when what you need to accomplish can be accomplished by having regular user privileges. There's no reason to give you access to things that you don't need to touch because it's just another attack vector or another surface for attack to happen because somebody has permissions they don't need. And uh, you can't control how secure I, for example, make my stuff. So why right. give me admin privileges if you can't control that aspect? Exactly. Well, it's also like I do it to myself, right? Like there are certain, you know, there there are certain times where like I have to actually go elevate my privileges or go switch and log in with a different account because like I don't have admin access when I just log in for everyday stuff. I don't need admin access to do everything, everyday things. So I don't gain that access. Uh, one of the biggest things with AWS, uh, this is probably true for Azure as well. And I know for sure it's true with um, Google Cloud. Uh, services. Google Cloud is crazy expensive. I don't know what they're thinking about, man. And convoluted slash confusing, too. It's convoluted and confusing, too, just like AWS, but it's also crazy expensive. Like, yeah. oh, geez, I don't know what they're thinking about over there, man. It's crazy. Uh, but with AWS, so let's take, uh, let's stick with SES because everybody can understand their website needs to send emails out for stuff, right? So Michael's website, you know, the site to host our podcast, your own pay.com. Uh, will 
has a has the ability to send email through Amazon SES. One of the things that I had to configure when setting up access for Michael's site to be able to send emails is to make sure that Michael can only send emails or that yourownpay.com can only send emails using a yourownpay.com email address. We would mm-hmm. not want, for example, Michael to be able to send emails as bedrockinnovations.com because that one wouldn't make any sense. And two for Mike. Now, if Mike did it to me, you know, we have a conversation like Mike, hey, I think you screwed something up. Uh, but what I can't have is customers sending emails as other people, right? We have to make sure those restrictions are in place. So learning not only how to generating access keys for users, one thing, but being able to write out the policies or configure the policies that restrict the person's ability to do something without stomping on other abilities that they actually need uh, is something I've spent a significant amount of time learning. Uh, At some point, I will probably sit down over the course of a week and go go through and make sure I know everything I need to know first and then go take, you know, a couple of these AWS uh, certification courses because uh, I, I feel like I've put enough time in that I can pass quite a few of them, at least the lower level ones Hmm. right now without a lot of trouble. So that has, so learning about those security policies and, and how you can restrict access to files or email addresses has introduced you to an interesting tool you've mentioned to me. I don't quite understand it, but I mean, I kind of get the basics of it, but I think you obviously understand it a lot better than me. So how are you playing with installing WordPress sites now? So typically with WordPress, and everybody knows I go spin up a server, build out a server uh, that does all these things. There's a a platform that a WordPress developer, uh, Carl Alexander, started working on about a year and a half ago uh, called, I'm saying Emir, I could be pronouncing it wrong, but it's Y-M-I-R. and what he was setting out to do with this with this service was provide a way to host WordPress sites securely and at scale on AWS services. So another service I didn't mention about AWS is called Lambda. Lambda is basically sort of like um I don't really know a good way to reference Lambda, honestly. Uh Think of it as a a Raspberry Pi sort of. This is a very terrible. I'm sorry, anybody listening to this, Jeff. I, I apologize. Anybody else listening that that really gets this stuff uh, and can wrap their head around it and explain it better than I can, I do apologize for this. Very serverless very computing is how Amazon describes it. Yeah, but that doesn't really make any sense to anybody. Yeah, because there's still basically a server involved. It's just not your typical traditional server. Uh so essentially you're running what is what what is basically a a server running a micro server. So think about running a virtual machine on your computer in, in in a sense. Like that virtual machine requires a computer to be behind it, but it doesn't really matter what's behind it. And you can kind of make that virtual machine do whatever it needs to do based off how you want it to function. So if you want a Windows computer that has X amount, so long as what you provide, again, this is a very, very crude explanation of it. But essentially with this hosting platform, he's we're running WordPress on Lambda. We're using Lambda, which is serverless computing, because uh, you're not spinning up a traditional server. And we're using Amazon S3 to provide the storage for your uploads uh, and any other writable directories that need to, anything that needs to be writable uh, related to WordPress. So if you have a plugin that needs to, like Gravity Forms, for example, has a writable directory in the uploads. So all that stuff will be sitting on S3. Your site itself, the WordPress files, all the PHP stuff that runs is running on this serverless platform, but it is basically kind of in read-only mode, which means you can't edit the PHP once it's deployed out to the to the environment. Let me step back for a second. So we're we're using three major services of AWS to run WordPress in what's called a serverless environment. You're using Lambda, which runs PHP code just kind of natively. It doesn't have all the backbone stuff you would set up with Linode or anything like that. It's just, you know, it has those services in place, but not in that traditional method methodology. Uh, starts off very, very small and can scale up to what you need it to be. Over, over time and over traffic that you get. We're using Amazon RDS, which is their remote database service. So that's where your SQL database is sitting at that houses your uh, WordPress database. 
And then we're using S3 for uh, asset storage. So those asset storage includes things like your media files, uh, any writable directories for plugins that need to be available or anything that you want to write out that is going to be publicly available. With Lambda, your PHP code for WordPress is running in essentially a read-only capacity. So anybody familiar with what Apple has done with macOS, uh, starting with Big Sur and moving into Monterey, where your installation of macOS is, you can't write to that directory at all. All that stuff runs, you know, all the code for macOS runs in the way that it needs to run, but you cannot write to that volume where macOS actually sits at. Uh, once it's, you know, installed on your computer, you can't go edit any of those system files anymore. You used to be to hack, you know, kind of hack macOS quite a bit, uh, but now you can't do that because you can't write anything to those directories anymore. Uh, so anything up under the system library and all of that stuff, you cannot actually write code there because uh, it's read-only format. This is how WordPress is running. One thing that that helps with when it comes to security is some of the code injection vulnerabilities that crop up here and there or the ability for people to try to inject code into your SQL database really kind of become impossible because, well, if you can't write to the place where the code is running at, then you can't get your code to run. Like if your code wasn't there when they pushed the site out to the to the uh, serverless environment, if it wasn't already pre-existing, you can't add it in after the fact. Create some problems with a couple of plugins, but, you know, uh, the main thing is nobody, you don't have to worry about code injection vulnerabilities and things of that nature. Now, what's super slick about this, because the technical part of it, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it a little bit. That's why I said, excuse me for this very, very crude explanation of how it works. But one of the things that made it attractive to me is one, you know, once you get it running, which is fairly straightforward, you don't have to do a whole lot of work. Uh, I could get Mike doing it probably tomorrow if we sit down for a couple hours and get stuff installed on his computer that he needs. One of the things that was extremely attractive to me about it, though, is the fact that you know, let's take a smaller website like Bedrock Innovations that doesn't get a ton of traffic. And let's say somebody, you know, tweets a link out to my site or mentions me somewhere. And all of a sudden I go from getting, you know, maybe tens of visits a day to tens of thousands of visits a day. Typically in a server based environment, whether you know, I'm hosting on Linode or DigitalOcean or whatever, or with the site grounds of the world, like you start all of a sudden getting that spike of traffic and you know what happens? Your site falls over. Like your, your whole server just goes down and people can't get to your site because you've overwhelmed the server resources allocated if you were on, say, a $5 droplet. With serverless WordPress on AWS, one of the nice things about, um, that is that the site will just scale up like it'll be like, oh, we're we're resources are getting pegged. So we're going to scale them up just automatically. And you can, of course, put restrictions in place and say, hey, don't go past this point uh, because you do have to pay for these services mm-hmm. that are being used. But the nice thing is like it, it would scale up to deal with that spike of incoming traffic to my website. And then when the fervor died down and people realize, oh, he doesn't answer emails or he didn't like what I said or, you know, he's too expensive. Whatever the case is, the traffic starts to die down from the website. Well, then it scales those resources back down uh, to where they were. And as Mike will tell you in a second, you know, we have done things with Linode and DigitalOcean where you can easily take a $5 droplet like, hey, I need to resize this to a, you know, $15 droplet. And you can do that. But when you no longer need those resources, you can't just go back down to the five dollar droplet. Yeah, that 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 puts some little that that turns into a huge headache, and you got to move that turns things into around. You build the server from scratch yeah, and move that stuff yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, that's what that but, turns into. But what I was thinking is, so I'm involved with ACB. So ACB National has their convention in the summer, for example. This would probably be something that would be amazing to look at because you're not paying for a. a, a resources that can handle a hundred thousand visits in a week all year round you're only paying for those resources for that week that you need it for example exactly is that the correct way to understand it 
Yes, that that's exactly the way to to express that. And that's why I was so interested in this is because of that reason. Like there there are, you know, ACB is a very good example, right? You know, there are certain times of year where they're going to experience very very high volume traffic trying to make transactions happen uh for these 7 days or 10 days or or right. 25 days, right? The rest of the year, not that they're not getting any traffic, but not to that measure constantly right so like you said you're not paying for that 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 level of resources the entire year just to make sure that you don't fall over when it's convention time you just pay for that little spike during registration time and then you know things slide back down to where they were and you're back to a lower cost of of of, uh resources that you're paying for and the cost comes by people paying through aws they don't do you pay for you However, you say the name of this that's available at your own pay.com slash DM88. <laughs> so you do pay flat cost for Emir uh for the for the software. Yeah. Uh and again, I could be saying it wrong, so you know. Yeah. Uh but yeah, you do pay cost for that uh service, right? Now, the cool thing about it is let's say I become a you know, over the course of the next nine months, I become a AWS super professional. I got all the badges and all <laughs> of that. I could stop paying for a mirror and still run my services and still do it. What what that is allowing me to basically, you're paying for somebody who has already done the work, and you just type in a few commands, deploy your site, uh, and they handle building out. You know, the service handles building out and maintaining that infrastructure on AWS. If you know how to do this yourself, then you don't have to go pay for it, Mir. You just build it yourself, right? I don't know how to do it myself, so right. I'll get a guy some money. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, also, if you're using it and you decide like, oh, I don't, you know, I got my one little blog up and I don't really want to go keep screwing with this and paying no money for this or whatever, you can stop paying for it, Mir. Like your services still work because on the back end, like you're still using AWS services, like. You know, you, you you pay for the ongoing service there for the support because I have gotten quite a bit of support. I've reached out quite a few times like, hey, this isn't working or how do I fix this? How does that work? Uh, and Carl has been super responsive uh, when it comes to that stuff. Uh, he helped me figure out a problem with uh, WPE sign, actually. Ah, ah, good plugin, by the way. Just Very wanted good to throw plugin. that out there. I need to go install that on Payo Media now. Yeah, man. I'm man we gotta, we, yeah, we got to get that. We got to get that set up and rock and roll it, man. Yeah. Uh, um, how do WordPress updates work with this? Did you mention that? So, nope, I didn't. And here's the big thing about uh, Emir that's going to be different for a lot of, for me, it wasn't a, a, a major jump in the way that I operate typically anyway with WordPress. Um, so you're going to work, the simple way to explain it is you're going to build your WordPress site locally, install the plugins that you want, all of that stuff, and then type in a command in your terminal that deploys that version of your site out to uh, AWS, right? And now your site is live. This sounds when familiar, a, uh, like the way you work. <laughs> that's why I said for me, it wasn't a major jump. I was like, oh, you're just taking care of all the back-end serverless crap with AWS and it'll scale. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm on board with this, man. Uh so it is not super difficult for me, but yeah, you're gonna work on your site locally, which you know, again, I've been recommending that for years. Like build a WordPress site locally, grab map or or there's other tools depending on the platforms that you're on and work on your site locally. Stop look, at least do me this favor. Anybody listening, stop changing stuff on your live site, please. Oh. Yeah, I've been physically ill for about a couple of weeks because I had to work on something on somebody's site and it was live and I had no other choice because I couldn't really control any of that. And I was sick. Like I was literally sick. Demasi uh, and I have more staging sites than we know what to do with. <laughs> and like yesterday, someone, well, I'll, I'll mention Jeff. Jeff asked me a question about WordPress. Plugin. I'm like, I don't know, uh, but I'll, I'll give it a try. And I could have just went to your own pain and installed it. And then I realized that I didn't like, like dealing with the talking That's to. what he would have Done. Yep. 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 Then, then I got it. I know I would have gotten to talking to by Demasi. What the hell are you doing installing beta software on a on a live site? So I went to one of the test sites that I 
wasn't even sure if it was still around and I installed the beta software and got the answer. But yeah, five years ago, <laughs> ah, why not? I'll just install this, see how it works, see if it's accessible. Oh, it's not? Okay, we'll uninstall it. Well, let's uninstall it. The problem with that, because people might think that, is a lot of times plugins don't clean up after themselves. And ask Demasi mm-hmm. how big the your own pay database is. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that, that is one of my projects I've been kind of putting off is to go through and clean up Mike's <laughs> database. Uh, but yeah, that that is one of the problems is that oftentimes when you hit, un, you know, deactivate and, you know, delete plugin, like the proper thing and there, there are functions in WordPress to make this easy for developers. The proper thing to do is go behind yourself and clean up your database tables that you have added, right? Because they're no longer needed because they just deleted your plugin. Not everybody does that. So now you have random database tables sitting around that nobody's using that are just sitting there bloating out your database. The, that, that for a lot of people who don't know is one of the reasons your site can get bogged down and load slowly is because uh, you have a very large database and as WordPress is loading pages or posts on your site, like it's looking through the database to see, hey, what do I need to do? What do I need to add? Okay, you're requesting this here. I need to go get this out of the database. The more tables that are in the way, especially when they're not needed, that's, you know, more processing time that has to happen between PHP compiling your page and then actually rendering it on the front end. And then add that on top of not optimized web hosting solutions mm-hmm. and you just have a big disaster waiting to happen. I was going to say, that's one of the reasons so many people look at caching and try to implement caching because, well, my contact, you know, well, contact form page is a bad, you should never cache your contact form page because, you know, uh, my about page is not going to change all that often. So you would cache that page so that people coming to your site would get that page delivered super quickly. It doesn't have to go through the whole process of, Oh, the browser made a request. I go look at the database. I build this page and then deliver it to the user, right? That is the process that happens 90% of the time that you go to a WordPress site uh, or any, any database driven website, uh, whether it's Laravel, WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, whatever. That is the process that happens. Caching can help with that because it, it removes the need to rebuild that page every single time, right? If it's, Content on the page hasn't changed or is not going to change. Then you get a cached version of just that HTML for that page. So it's not being built on the fly. But yeah, big databases can severely bog down your site. Uh, And the other reason you don't want to really be tinkering around with stuff and trying out things on your production site is because, well, what happens if you get one of those fatal errors? Uh, you activate a plugin and there is some conflict with something else is running on your site and you click activate and the next screen you see says this site has encountered an error. Well, guess what? Your whole site is offline <laughs> now because you were screwing around with a freaking plugin. I know you're looking at me, Demasi. I know. <laughs> no, I've done it to myself. The big thing, like here, here's the thing for everybody to understand, like I'm not trying to pick on anybody. Like my, me and Mike, of course, will joke about this because we yeah. have had conversations about it. But in all honesty, like We've I'm not trying to take it. a shot. I'm not taking cheap shots to anybody. I have done everything I'm telling you not to do. It's the reason I'm telling you not to do it. Let me tell you this story about this time. Hold on. Which episode was that? Maybe DM 47, possibly. Uh, I told this story about how I took down the entire NFB of Georgia website one day because I edited a file on the live server, hit save, and thought I was good. And just went on about my business and got a call 30 minutes later and said, hey, people say the website is completely down. I was like, what? I went and looked. Oh, God, it's the white screen. There's nothing. There's nothing loaded. What did I do? Ah, uh, you know, long story short, in that particular scenario, there was a bug in Mac OS. I have told this story fairly recently, yep. actually. Now, uh, there was a bug in Mac OS that, you know, the focus of where voiceover was, was being uh, delayed. So you would hear what you were previously highlighting, not what you were currently highlighting. And I accidentally deleted the WP config file. So, yeah. <laughs> That's why you don't screw around on live servers, right? Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, simple way to set up a staging site. A lot of the hosting companies provide ways to quickly set up staging sites. Um, and that's that's newer, isn't it? Because I, when I got started with WordPress, I don't remember. I remember you having to pay for something like WP Engine to get a staging site to even make that happen. Yeah, it's become more of a thing now with 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 a lot of sites, uh, a lot of hosting companies, because you know they one. 
So a couple of reasons. Number one, there's been a big push amongst the developer community, a lot of the old time WordPress developers to tell people exactly what I'm saying right now, which is stop screwing with your live production site, because oftentimes for people, their production sites make them money. Uh, so if your site's not online, people can't sell, buy your stuff or, you know, get in touch with you to, to purchase your services. The other reason is because a lot of people have left some of these smaller companies because companies like WP Engine and Kinsta and Pantheon were had these, you know, seemingly elaborate to them, uh, to, to the lesser hosting companies, seemingly elaborate, you know, oh, you can set up a staging site. Well, hey, if I want to redesign my site, I don't want to do that live for everybody to see my screw ups when I uh, forgot to put a semicolon in the right place or put a, you know, right brace somewhere and now my site's broken. Like, no, I want to do this on a test site. And it's better, at least from their perspective, it is a lot easier for a more novice user to click a button in their, their, control panel interface for your hosting and say, hey, make me a staging site. And it's going to be for people to do what I do, which is I typically install WordPress locally, start building out basically everything I want. Then I go to a staging site from there to make sure that this stuff actually works in the real world on an actual server before it goes live. Uh, I am not, look, I learned this from other people, so I'm not the first person to do it and I'm not going to be the last person to do it. But from a perspective of just a service that's being offered, yeah, making staging sites, because that cuts down on your support support costs as well when you have given people a simple, more simpler method to say, hey, go try this out. Here's a staging environment for you to test this out on before you break your real site. Uh, if you break a staging site, then you you have time to go Google for the answer before you reach out to support. If you break your real website and it's offline, the first thing you're going to do is call up customer support and be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fix us now. And uh-huh. then your customer support people are dealing with stuff that ultimately isn't the customer support person's problem. It's yours. Not really. Not really, right? Because when I accidentally deleted that file, like the first thing I did is reach out to Dream. I was like, uh, yeah, so look, here's what happened. I know it's my fault. Is there a backup I can restore from? Like, oh yeah, here's a backup. We'll, we'll restore it back for you. It should be back up in about an hour. I was like, good deal. Yeah. But the first thing I did was go reach out to, now one, I knew exactly what I had done once I realized what happened, but also there was no other recourse for me to take at that point. Uh, yeah, because aside from rebuilding the whole site and uh, yeah, no, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> so here's the thing, though, in, in that particular scenario, worst come to worst, I would have had to do a little bit more work myself. I didn't notice at the time, to be fair about it. So, again, I have learned over the years what I could have done was just copied the WP config sample file and made that the new WP config went and reset the database password and the control panel interface and done all of that stuff and everything would have still been there because the database was still there. The files were still there. Right. It just WordPress didn't know where it was supposed to get any of its information from anymore because that one didn't file have was a config file. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know what you want me to do here. But I ain't know none of that. I panicked and called DreamHost like, uh, yeah, need some help. Yeah, yeah. Please. So, so lesson learned is you're always learning something new. <laughs> exactly. Always learning something new. And and I'm always learning something new because Jeff, who thank you Jeff, and I'm going to leave this in the edit cuz I'm going to probably edit tonight. Thank you Jeff for sticking around for the entire episode. He is still there. He did put his hand down, but he is still there. So thank you Jeff. Appreciate hey, it. I appreciate it, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so Jeff was mentioned like some people who just bamped out in the whole first five minutes before we even started the show, but we're yeah. not gonna name any names. Yeah, and that person isn't gonna hear this part because I don't think that person will listen this long. Anyways. <laughs> so uh he asked me probably about the same time the Fantastic Hound News dropped, um if I had or why I was using carrot weather, I think is what it was. And I said it was for the customization and I am, and, and I'm transitioning to this by saying that I'm always learning about new apps and, and you know, Demasi is always learning about WordPress, but anyway, horrible transition. Uh, 
Carrot Weather seems to work just fine for me. I went ahead and re-downloaded the Weather app because I had removed it from my phone. I did wow. that at like 6.45 p.m. today because I forgot about it until I looked at the Google Doc. It was, it was a little bit earlier than that. But I re-downloaded it, and I have uninstalled it from my phone, although I will say mainly because I'm paid for Carrot Weather for the next year. Uh, well, 10 months, I think. Uh, but the, the reason why I like Carrot Weather ultimately over the weather app is twofold. Number one, I really like the fact that you can go in there and just look at what's coming up. The way mine shows me is I have the current conditions. I can see the next seven days and that's it. I I don't want to see the next, personally, I don't want to see the next 48 hours or 24 hours. Other people do want to see that. But for me, I just want to know what's the weather going to be like uh, or what's the weather like right now? And what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? And I think Demasi might have his set up slightly differently. And that's the nice thing about carrot weather is you have the flexibility of being able to set it up the way you want. Now, Jeff did mention weather gods. I did. I, I bought weather gods years ago, so I haven't looked at it lately. I need to re-go, go re-download it to play around a little bit with it. But for me right now, carrot weather is going to be my weather app of choice. And I do enjoy the snarkiness of it. I did update mine to homicidal, by the way. I got to admit, first and foremost, I'm a, wait a minute. You turn it on homicidal. We can't, we can't just skip past that. You really? Yeah, I was bored. I was bored. Okay. You, you'll have to share with me the things that you get over the coming week. Uh, yeah. Uh, with yeah, I will. Right there. I will. Some of the stuff Tia shared with me has been hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised anybody demise is on professional, though. Uh, you know. One thing I did discover, because I have uh, Catch a Can Saved, which is where Nicholas lives. I have uh, Tuscaloosa. I, I can never say that city proper, just so you know. Uh, I have three other places saved. And every time I went to a different location uh, to get the weather, I got a different snarky response. So I don't know if you notice that or not, that you get a different response if you go to one of your saved places. No, because I don't get any of the extra bits. I just get the weather. Uh, So I don't get any comments at all. It's interesting that you do the same thing I do, though, because I do have... um, is it Coke? I, I don't know how to say it. Anyway, <laughs> See, that's hilarious. Yeah, I have your place. <laughs> I have your place in there. I have where my mother lives. I have where my sister lives. I have where my brother. And I have all these places in, in uh, Carrot also. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. I thought I was being weird when I did it, so I never said anything to anybody. <laughs> like, it's, it's no, gotta know. No, I look at your weather and I'm like, huh, he's going from 58 to 72 next week. Mm, that's interesting. But it's supposed to be super windy. So everyone's like, I'm like, hmm, yeah. You know, yeah. So you can just about know when I'm going to be grilling and when I'm not yep. going to be grilling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, based off of that, that comes down to if you actually look at carrot weather or not to see what the weather's like too. Because the other day, if you could have been grilling, but you didn't look. Oh no, I had to work, man. I had to work. Uh, good point. Good point. You know, yeah, yeah. But I like carrot. Uh, so for 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 Jeff specifically but for anybody else listening to so Kara does have the ability to customize the interface uh very extensively uh somewhat to a point that kind of makes my head hurt just a little bit jeff it is slightly broken at this point i couldn't get the buttons to activate to get me into customizer mode so uh one i'm going to reinstall the beta and see if there's a current beta out and i'll also drop a note to the developer letting them know that like hey this is not working at the moment uh unless it's just me that's having the problem uh, so I, I will, uh, I didn't forget about it. I forgot to mention it to you, but I didn't forget to go look. Uh, but I like carrot one. I'm partially a sucker for independent developers. And there's like one guy that works on carrot weather, which is just crazy. Amazing. Like people think I'm super productive and one, I'm really not. Number two, I look at what this guy managed to do by himself. Uh, not only with connecting to all the different available services to get your weather data because you're not just restricted to one there are several uh including country specific ones like there's ones for australia and canada that we don't have here because uh, of course it wouldn't matter to us you know what how that works but all the services that he connects to over you know using their apis uh the features that are packed in the customization that is there and the 
you know, richness of the notifications uh, and the timeliness of the notifications. Like, it is very accurate. It tells me it's going to rain and it starts raining. It's like, ah, oh, that's scary. So I'm kind of a sucker for independent developers that make really good apps and focus on accessibility as much as this guy has. Uh, I, I was very, I, I was surprisingly to me even very active in the uh, uh, care whether version five beta when, when it was an early beta before anybody could talk about it. And I was constantly submitting feedback because I was poking at everything because it was a very early beta. Um, and he wouldn't and even do- tell me what was coming up. It was nope. frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> nope all i would tell people like man it's gonna be amazing like yep. it's gonna it's, it's gonna it's, it's gonna and it turned out to be huger than i thought it was i remember dropping them with, like i was so engaged with it that, like i dropped dude an email shortly after it uh released publicly and i started seeing the, the reports on like the verge and uh mac stories and i was like man big splash dude congratulations because you did a great <laughs> job and it's one guy like maybe there's somebody else that we don't know about but from all i know is one guy that works on this app, which is crazy uh, for the amount of development that goes into it. I like Carrot, though. Uh, I have not looked at any other weather apps. Uh, the built-in weather app on iOS has actually gotten quite fully featured at this point. It has quite a bit of stuff, even to the point that I think it now has notifications, which it never had. Mm, mm. Uh, I was a Dark Sky user for a long time. Uh the, the app uh, and then I switched to Carrot I want to say around 2017 2018 uh, and, and honestly it's because once I moved to Alabama like I wasn't getting rain notifications accurately enough <laughs> <laughs> so it's like okay I'll break down spend this five bucks on Carrot which I think is not going to be accessible okay it's actually pretty good oh I like this oh this is great I'm going to turn off this freaking voice cursing me out though because I don't need that, yeah, turn that I just want to get the weather <laughs> if I want to be cursed that I want to be cursed that it's quickly from voiceover not the slow text to speech shit <laughs> uh, but Carrot's a solid app uh, you can try out all of the features for free before you have to pay for it uh, he has simplified, I think. I haven't looked at him recently, but I think when version 5 came out, it was a little bit more clear what you were getting for based off the tiers that you pay for. Uh, and the other thing I love about it is that I get to pay for a family subscription, which is only slightly more than it would cost me as an individual annually. And everybody in my Apple family group gets to use it. So that's awesome, too. And it's actively being developed. I opened it today and there was an update with some new features. Yeah, that's the other. That's why I say it's amazing how much is happening with this, you know, independent small developer, right? Like it's not a large company. It's not Apple or, you know, Google or Microsoft or, any, you know, any of the, there's no large company behind this application. Like there, there's a guy uh, and it's actively developed. So as we get ready to close out this episode, uh, me and Mike want to tell you about a thing that we're going to we're working on it. We're actively working on it right now. If, if, if not, you know what? Hold on. Let me start over. <laughs> Cause it is working in my brain. I just hadn't written none of it it's, down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's working in Google docs too. Like that yeah, is a Google doc. I, I just had looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but me and Mike are putting together a project that we would love to one, get your feedback on and two have you join in on once we go live or when we prepare to go live. So what we're going to be doing to sum all this up, because I'm doing a very bad job of introducing it, is we're going to do a webinar on using Todoist with a screen reader. That is the point of the whole thing that we're doing. We will be talking about why we use Todoist. Uh, why we have settled on it after years of trying different systems and why we keep coming back to Todoist. We will sum that up for you very quickly. Those of you who listen to the show kind of know the answer to that question. So, you know, uh, but we'll be sharing that as well as tips and tricks for using Todoist across all the platforms that we are familiar with it on. So this will be Mac OS. This will be iOS. This would be Android. It would also be Windows. Um, because we have used it on all of these platforms and we'll also be sharing tips on ways to organize it and kind of get the best out of it uh, to make sure that it meets your needs and is effective for you. Because that's one of the things that I think me and Michael have both spent Mm. probably the best part of three or four years 
figuring out it's not just that oh it can do all of these things but hey how's the best way to be how's the best way to use it for it to be actually effective for me day in and day out so that i keep using it and i have been sticking to the to-do list not so much on that time tracking thing we talked about but you know that's comes and goes but to do is routinely i'm in there every day i check i check it every evening because i set up a recurring task to review my to-do list and i'm also a little disappointed when i don't get to check off at least four things i think is what my uh uh minimum is supposed yeah my goal is supposed to be I will also learn all the proper terminology before we do this webinar too. <laughs> hey, I am I, I'm I'm coming along with my with my karma levels. I don't I don't remember what I am, but it's I'm somewhere that yeah. I think you were like two years ago, but I'm not certain. I have to tell you what it is next time I look. We will definitely have all those details at the webinar that we're going to be hosting. And we may or may not use Zoom. We're going to experiment with a couple of other solutions for that uh, to make sure that the experience is accessible to all. We will build a Zoom box in AWS now. (laughs) (laughs) So we probably, I'm going to guess that we're not going to do this before the next episode comes out, even though our goal was February, but we're in the middle of February. Uh, we'll probably do it that week that DM 89 comes out as my guess. We haven't hammered down a date exactly. However, if you follow us on Twitter and the show on Twitter, then you can be made aware of this. And trust me, both of us will be tweeting it out, even though most of our Twitter accounts are fairly quiet right now. So if you want show notes, more information about the show and or, or of course you can always follow us on Twitter. That's that's the thing you should do. But what you really, really should do is go to your own pay.com slash DM eighty eight or really any page on your own pay.com and opt into the newsletter because Mike's going to post it there first oh, yeah. if he doesn't post it anywhere else. Yeah, it, it, it'll probably go to the newsletter, honestly, before it goes to Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it will go there before it goes anywhere else because we're going to want to let everybody know that may not have listened to the most re- recent episode because, you know, some people, we understand how it is. I'm, I'm a week or so behind on a few of my podcasts, so, you know, it happens. But if you're on the newsletter, you will absolutely get that notification first. So you can join the newsletter, get show notes, and follow us on Twitter all at yourownpay.com forward slash DM88. I'm on Twitter at Payon, P-A-Y-O-W-N, and he's on Twitter. You can type a backslash. That'll still work, too. (laughs) (laughs) And he's on Twitter. Let's see if we can get it out. (laughs) At Damasi, D-A-M-A-S-H-E, and the show is at the DM Series. You've been listening to Your Own Pay Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, visit yourownpay.com slash cast for exclusive content and to contact us today. We're eager to hear your thoughts and about how you're making this podcast your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. The Your Own Pay Podcast, yourownpay.com.